Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you here and good to bring greetings to you from my church, Little Hill Church in Wigston in Leicester. We're going to read from the Bible again together now. So if you'd like to find with me Romans chapter 16, Romans 16. I suppose, as it's good for us, we'll stand as well, shall we, as we as we read these words together. So let's stand, those who feel able, and let's hear God's word again. To Romans 16, and we'll hear the whole chapter. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sencria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives, who've been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, Tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason and Sosipater, my relatives. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, send you his greetings. 
Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, do be seated. And I'll take, take a pause for breath. And now, and uh, now that I've got through all of those names, got my tongue around them. We're going to look at something. Maybe you don't feel it's a very auspicious thing to be looking at. A, a list of names, basically, isn't it? These greetings at the end of Paul's letter to the Romans. But uh, we're going to do it. We're not going to look at every single one, but we're going to look at these uh, people together this morning. And I've entitled the sermon this morning, God's Little People in the Church at Rome. God's Little People in the Church in Rome. Now, when I say little people, I'm not talking about little in stature, you know, Ken Dodd's Diddy Men. It's not, I'm not thinking about anything like that. We're thinking here of little people in terms of little known. Those who are not as well known as the big names of Scripture. You know the names I mean. Paul, who wrote this letter, and Peter and the other apostles. These are people we know very little about. Some of them were given a bit more than others. To, to go on, but uh, there's not as much known about these people. So we're thinking of them as little in that sense. Paul, of course, was a big name, wasn't he? The man who wrote this letter. He wrote 13 of the letters in the New Testament, 14 if you count the letters to the Hebrews, and all of them are vital doctrine for us as believers. And what a great man he was. You read the Acts of the Apostles and all his missionary journeys, this great evangelist. He was a big name. And this letter to the Romans that we're looking at the end of this morning is what we might call his magnum opus alongside his other letters. They're all vital to us. But here he sets out for us this spiritual treasure concerning God's great work of salvation that we all need to know. And it's so important, isn't it? This letter to us. Someone has said it would be Better never to have been born than to have been born and not to understand Paul's letter to the Romans. So my first question to you this morning before we go any further is, do you understand what this letter teaches us about God's great salvation? Because if you don't, you need to have a conversation with somebody afterwards because we don't have time to look at that this morning. Make sure you understand what Paul has written about here in this letter. Because to know that is to know life everlasting. But we're not going to be looking at that this morning. Our purpose is different. We're looking at these these people in Paul's greetings. His purpose in writing this letter was that because he longed to see these people. He tells us that, that he wants to come and impart to them some spiritual gift and that they might be a mutual encouragement, an encouragement to him as well as he to them. And aren't we grateful that he had that longing to see them because he wasn't able to do so, to reach them. So he writes this letter, which has been preserved for us. And so we have entered into these spiritual treasures as well from this letter. But you get the real sense, don't you, with Paul, with all of his letters, that he is a people person. And that's because our God is a people person, if I can say that of him with reverence. 
And we need to remember that. Now, I'm going to do something now. Um, bear with me. I'm, I'm struggling to do this a little bit and uh, see if I can get it right this morning. Do you remember this little rhyme from your childhood? Yes, you know what I'm going to say? Here's the church and here's the steeple. Open the doors and there's the people. Now, the reason I do that, I've not gone mad. It's because that's exactly the point, isn't it? The church is not the steeple. It's not the stones. It's the living stones. It's the people. People matter to Paul and people matter to God. And that comes across even in these greetings of Paul. You get the real sense of warmth and thankfulness and joy in these people as they grew as Christians. He loved them. And my friends, we've already had that, haven't we, in our service this morning. The reminder from our verse with the children is that we should love one another and lay down our lives for one another. We had it in our reading, didn't we, from John 17, where Jesus prayed, amongst other things, that we should know his love amongst us. And so here we have Paul, this big name, this big name in scripture and in history. But he wasn't too big for his boots, was he? Not so boastful and full of himself after he'd repented and become a Christian to recognize that he needed these people. He was dependent upon God, but in a real sense, he was dependent upon these people. Once they had to lower him from the walls of the city of Damascus in a basket. We might quite honestly say that without them, perhaps he would have done nothing. In his ministry, he relied upon them and therefore he valued them as his brothers and sisters. He speaks about himself and another big name preacher, a man called Apollos in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 5. And he says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. That's all the big names are. That's all anybody is in church life. Every leader in your church is just a servant. We're to serve one another. But now we come across a, a... A surprising fact, Paul, the apostle, had yet to set foot in Rome. He'd not actually been to this church that he's writing to. He wanted to get there. And we read in the Acts of the Apostles at the end, Acts 28, he did finally reach uh, Rome. And you have a lovely scene where uh, the people or some of the church come out to greet him. So much was their affection for him. It was a mutual thing. But at this point, he hasn't met them. It's about A.D. 57. And he's writing during his third uh, missionary visit to uh, Corinth in Greece. So it's quite remarkable, don't you think, that he, he mentions here 26 names of people he knew in the church in Rome. 27, if you add in Phoebe. I'll explain a little bit about her in a moment. How come? How did Paul know these people so well and come to love them well? The people of uh, Paul's day traveled probably more than we imagine they did. They traveled for business purposes between the big centers of population, the business cities and towns, but also sometimes through necessity because of persecution. So the couple we read of in verse three, Priscilla and Aquila, were told on one occasion they were driven out because of their activity as believers. They had to leave. In fact, we read of them, they moved four or five different times during the period of the New Testament. We read of them moving from Rome and Ephesus and Corinth. They were ever on the move. So Paul probably met these people when they were in these other cities in Ephesus, in Corinth, that he'd been to. But what I want to do for the rest of our time this morning under two headings is is look at some of these people together. We're going to group them into two big groups. 
We're going to look at these valuable little people. We're going to look, first of all, at the workers. And then we're going to look at the beloved or the beloved, if you prefer. The, the workers and the beloved. Not that they're mutually exclusive. They overlap. And they're, uh, it's not that the workers won't love. They were. And you see that in verse um, 12. Just look down at verse 12. You see this lady, my dear friend, Persis. The New International Version translates dear friend. Some have, some of you might have beloved there. So, and she was a woman who worked very hard in the Lord. So you see they're hard workers and they're loved as well. So it's just for convenience sake, we're grouping them under these two groupings. So let's look first of all at the workers, because there are several things said about people who worked hard here in the church about the kind of work they're involved in. And the first person to consider is in verse one. It's this lady, Phoebe. Now, in a sense, I'm cheating here because we, we can't really say she was a member of the church at Rome because she's likely to be the bearer of the letter coming uh, to um, uh, to them. But um, I'm going to include it. It's possible she was coming to join them. Maybe this letter, part of the purpose of the letter is to be like a letter of commendation. You know, your elders from a church were right when you moved to another church to to uh, introduce you and commend you to the church. So maybe there's a sense of that. That's one of Paul's purposes in mentioning her here. But notice what it says about this woman. He has her in very high regard, which just as a side point, just uh, gets out of the way this whole idea that Paul was a chauvinist pig. He wasn't. People say that. Feminists say that of him. He certainly wasn't. Of the 26 names of people here, 11 of them are women. That's in a patriarchal society. He has a high regard for these women, as we'll see as we go through the list. And he certainly does of this woman, Phoebe. She's described as a servant worker. Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sencria. And yes, that's how you pronounce that, apparently. I looked it up. Sencria. Funny word, isn't it? She was a servant. Look down at your footnotes in the NIV and it says a deaconess. Now, I'm not going to get controversial here. I don't know if you've actually got deaconesses in the church. We haven't in my church. I actually think that we perhaps should, but uh, it's not just about me, is it? But I'm not going to be controversial. Uh, she might be an official deaconess, if you think that's uh, what the scriptures describe. If not, she's certainly following the sort of thing that deacons should be following. That is having a servant spirit, being a practical worker for God and laying down her life life, we might say, for others. And she was therefore a valued servant in practical ways. Look at the end of verse two. She's been a great help to many people, including me. She was helpful in the church. Are you helpful in the church? Or are the elders sometimes having to have a word with you? Are you a hindrance in the church? People sometimes can be that way. Oh, God forbid that we should hinder the work of God in our churches. She was a help to the work of the church, a valued servant, a practical woman. She's likely to be the postwoman, not postwoman Pat, postwoman Phoebe has delivered this letter. Here she is because uh, she's commended as this person bringing this letter and uh, they're asked to give her help because she's been helpful to many people. She's likely to have been a businesswoman like Lydia of Philippi. And we, I say that because in those days that you couldn't rely upon the royal mail. You know, the royal mail was for royalty. 
of a government. So if you wanted to send a letter, you had to send it via your trusted relatives or via business people traveling between these cities. And the fact that she's named by herself and not with a spouse suggests to us that she was traveling with business people. So here's this business person, highly valued, carrying this letter. And she's a helper to many people. And she's a servant worker, a woman of integrity. That's the first person here. Are you that sort of person in the church? We're all meant to be like that. And then we notice another kind of worker here, description. It's mentioned of, in verse 9 of a man called Urbanus. Fellow workers. We are to be fellow workers. In other words, we are to be team players. There's no place in the Christian life, in the Christian church, for lone ranger Christians. There's some people who are like that, aren't there? Interested in their own particular ministry. And we certainly need to see the end of those ministries that are named after individuals. Been enough scandals, haven't they? Ravi Zacharias and others, where men have been puffed up without those to, to contain them and to uh, modify their behavior and to watch over them and they become their own ministry. It's not about you. It's not about me, is it? It's about the Lord Jesus. We're here to glorify him. So we need this concept of work in the church, teamwork. Romans chapter 12, Paul said it already in the letter. Each of us is a member of a body and the members of the body must work together or else the body's in trouble. And more gets done that way, doesn't it? More work gets done that way when we work together and help each other on strengthening each other's hands. So servant workers, fellow workers and also hard workers. Look down at verse six. We read of Mary. Look how many women Paul is commending here. Greet Mary who worked very hard for you. You get the sense maybe he's hinting to them. You ought to recognize that and be thankful to her. She's worked very hard for you. And then verse 12, another two women. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Incidentally, those names, Try the Tribit, it's an indication these women might have well been twins. But it's interesting what the names actually mean. Tryphena and Tryphosa means dainty and delicate. But they weren't so dainty and delicate to get their hands dirty, not to get their hands dirty. They were willing to work hard. But then note this important qualifying phrase. You find it again in verse 12 of another woman of Persis, another woman who's worked very hard in the Lord. Same set of Tryphena and Tryphosa. Working hard, but in the Lord. That's important. It's important because it's possible, isn't it, in church life to have such an idea of the Protestant work ethic that we can be so driven in our working that we burn ourselves out. It's a problem in the church. Pastors, elders, members of churches burning themselves out for the Lord. You know, we can be so determined, so pragmatic working that we forget we're working for the Lord. We can be so hard driven that we can sort of have the attitude, I'm going to get the job done if, if it kills me. And sometimes it does kill us, doesn't it? And puts us out of work for, for longer. 
Burnout is a real problem. Now, I don't subscribe to an ethos that some Christians subscribe to. And there's a phrase that people use, and I think it's very unhelpful. And it's this. It's better to burn out than to rust out. You heard that one? It's not in the Bible, actually. It sounds good, doesn't it? But just think about it for a moment. I don't want to do either. I don't want to burn out. I don't want to rust out either. I want to go on as long as the Lord gives me strength and stay as fresh as I can and use the gift I still have right to the end because the Christian life is a marathon run. It's not a sprint. We've got to go on to the end and we can do more good at the end of our days than at the beginning of our days because we're more mature. God is maturing us. And he has work for us to do to the end. There's no retirement in the Christian life. So I don't want to rust out, but I don't want to burn out either. I want to marshal my gifts wisely so I have them to use in days to come. Longevity in Christian work. And Jesus said that that's possible. What did he say about our obedience and our work in serving him? Matthew 11, verse 30. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, he's not saying it's not going to be hard work, but when we are yoked to him, we're yoked to eternal power. He gives us the resources we need to serve him and we can do it to the end of our days. Now, far be it from me to be seen to be knocking the godly 19th century minister, Robert Murray McShane. You know that he died at the early age of 29, and he did great good and continues to do through his books, through his writings. Great man of God. And yet there's a sense in something he said on his deathbed that hints that maybe he realized he'd burnt himself out through overwork. He said this, God gave me a horse and a message. I've killed the horse, and I can no longer deliver the message. What's he saying? God's given me a horse, my body. And a message, the gospel, and I've killed my body. I can no longer deliver his message. The answer for us to burn out is remember we're working in the Lord. First of all, we're working for him, not for us. And we're working in him with the strength that he supplies to do his work. Eyeing his pleasure in the work. No, he will reward us in his time. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. In the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So that's our first grouping of people this morning from this list of greetings. The workers, servant workers, fellow workers, hard workers, in the Lord workers. Have you found your work for the Lord in the church here at Hollywell? And are you working in that way? And then the second uh, grouping we're looking at of these people are the beloved the beloved. This is the other theme that comes across as we read through these names, as well as work, love. Love is the dynamic of the church. We are not an organization, a profession, a factory of workers. We are a family. As the song goes, we are family in the church. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if... You love one another. Romans 12, earlier, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. It means sisterly love as well. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 30 in a great hymn to love being the principal thing. 
in our Christian experience. And so that comes across as he greets these people. Let's look down and see how he does it. Verse five, greet my dear friend Epinetus. That's lovely, isn't it? My dear friend Epinetus or my beloved Epinetus. And then he adds some shades of color to why he loved this man particularly. And that's okay, isn't it? You can love some people a little more than others. That's all right, as long as we love everybody. And that's what he does here. He says he loves him in a sense because he was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Now, that might have been on the day of Pentecost because um, 3,000 were saved, Acts 2, verse 9. And we're amongst the list of names of those from Asia. So maybe he was there on the day of Pentecost. Or maybe he was even Paul's first convert in Asia. We read of that in Acts 19, verse 1, that Paul was in Asia, as it was then in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. And maybe he was saved and he was there. Whatever, he was a trophy of grace. A first fruits of the gospel in Asia. And it's understandable, therefore, that there's a special sense of love for this person, Eponetus. First converts are a real encouragement, aren't they? You might know the name Krishna Pal. You know the name Krishna Pal, who he was? There's a hymn by him, I think, in Christian hymns. Look it up later. William Carey, the missionary, labored for seven long years in India without a convert, with others working hard for the gospel's sake. And then this man, Krishna Pal, was converted. And oh, how they rejoiced. They saw him as the first fruits of what they hoped would be the rest of the continent coming to Christ. So that's Eponetus, beloved as a first fruit of ministry. And then verse seven has some other names, Andronicus and Junior or Junius. We're not quite sure if it's a man and a woman or two men, but Paul says they are my relatives or other versions, kinsmen. Now, that could mean kinsmen could mean they were fellow Jews. And therefore, you love them. And that's natural. Maybe you've got people from your same ethnic background here and you have a sense of affection, don't you, for those who come from where you come from or from what part of the country you come from, your Yorkshireman or whatever you are. You know, that's okay, provided you don't get too nationalistic if you're from a particular nation. It's fine, isn't it, to have that kind of special love for one another. Or he loved them because they were Christians and they were his relatives. As well as that, they were outstanding amongst the apostles. They stood out amongst the apostles and they'd been in prison with him. It says my fellow prisoners. Now, that could actually mean they'd been prison visitors. The translation could mean that. Of course, you're going to love somebody who's visited you in prison. As Christ said, we should care for those, the poor, the sick, those in prison. And these two had possibly visited Paul in prison. Or actually been with him in prison. And you can imagine the bond of affection that grows up when you are together in that kind of suffering. He loved them. But then there's something else, isn't it? Imagine this, that they were in Christ before me. Now, just think that through for a moment. Here's this big name person doing so well in Judaism. And he's persecuting the church. And you've become a Christian. How would you feel about your relative hearing what they were doing? They'd have been devastated, wouldn't they? They'd have shamed. And I tell you what they'd have been doing, praying for him. And therefore, Paul must have loved them for that sake, mustn't he? And we must as well love those who prayed for us, prayed us into the kingdom, our family, perhaps, and friends who prayed for us that we might be saved. And so for all those reasons, Andronicus and Junior were very dear to Paul. 
And then verse 13, we've got somebody who's actually not named. I don't know why, but we have uh, the son, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who's been a mother to me too. Actually, the, the translation is his mother and mine. That's lovely, isn't it? It's pregnant with meaning, we might say. And without being over sentimental, just think of all that meant, all that means of a mother's care. That special kind of, of loving care for someone. We're reminded, aren't we, of the surrogate, another surrogate mother relationship, the Lord Jesus Christ, John chapter 19, when he entrusts his mother to the Apostle John and him to her as a surrogate son. And throughout the history of the church, so has it been in churches where women have mothered those who have not been their own. And what a wonderful ministry that is. Don't know if you know much about the life of William Cooper, Cowper, the hymn writer and poet. He suffered greatly with depression. But he was really helped by a, a family, the Unwins, and particularly the, the, the lady, she was older than him, Mrs. Unwin, became a mother to him, a surrogate mother. And so it's been in many other cases. So Paul loved this woman as well. So these people then, dear friends, beloved, and you find that phrase coming across elsewhere, verse 8 and verse 9 and verse 12, it crops up again. The church as family, where the, where the dynamic is love. And so it comes across in this greeting that we are meant to give one another. Verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now that's a bit tricky these days, isn't it? These days of COVID. And maybe even pre-COVID, you wouldn't want to kiss everybody in church and they wouldn't want you to kiss them either. It's a personal thing, isn't it? But certainly there must be that love there or a holy handshake, if not a holy hug or a holy kiss in church life, reflecting the fact that we love one another. So let's learn then this morning from these little people to be a hard-working community of love. And may God help us to do that. Well, we're going to sing in closing uh, from Christian Hymns 343. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in the last verse, we're reminded that the meek and lowly, that's us little people, one day will dwell with him. That's great, isn't it? So I was going to say, let's stand, let's sit and sing <laughs> our closing hymn.